I V M. A niche thing explores subcultures around us that make for great interests and hobbies. These range from topics like affordable art to exploring the world of coffee, hi-fi, sneakers, watches, vintage fashion, where the list goes on and on. It's a podcast with something for everyone. So let the conversation begin. On today's episode of Anish Thing, we're discussing polyamory and non-monogamous relationships. It's been a buzzword floating around here and there for quite some time now. And I think it's super interesting to understand the nuances of such relationships. My guest today is Ailee, who's the founder of The Intimacy Curator, which is an organization promoting self-discovery through emotional and sexual well-being. She's also an intimacy coach, a relationship coach, and has been living in India for the last 15 years. And we shall get started with this conversation with her right after these short messages. Welcome to the show, Ali. Super interesting to have you here. Thank you, Anish. Well, we got talking last week and uh, it was really, really uh, fun to understand your journey in India. So before we begin, will you tell me a little bit more about yourself and how's your experience been in this space, in this lifestyle and in India? Okay, so when I first came here, I wasn't really expecting to date so much. But after getting married, I first met my husband when I, within a year of uh, landing here. And after five years of marriage, we kind of opened up our relationship. And that's when I was faced with dating in the real world. Back then, all the dating apps had just kind of launched your OkCupid and Tinders and Bumble was still not there. But um, that experience really opened my eyes on what can go wrong and uh, also like what we really need or want is, is not very clear to us ourselves when we start dating. Post that, I um, got interested in just human uh, psychology, uh, let's call it sexuality. I attended a couple of courses from LA on somatic uh, coaching, sex coaching. And uh, I started uh, my sort of career path, if you want to call it, first as a coach uh, individually. And then I realized that there was a lot of need for different type of coaches, so different types of sexualities, different types of experiences. And that's when I set up uh, the Intimacy Curator to address all these needs. So getting right into it, what is a non-monogamous or a polyamorous relationship? Okay, I'm going to start from non-monogamy because it's the wider umbrella term. So non-monogamy is uh, the practice of... uh, sexual, romantic or interpersonal relationships with multiple people at the same time. Uh, non-monogamy as, is as old as human beings. It's been practiced since the beginning of time. Now, the difference of what we are talking right now is consensual non-monogamy and non-consensual non-monogamy. So the most practiced form of non-monogamy is non-consensual non-monogamy, which is your cheating, affairs. That's the sort of aspect of non-monogamy that causes the most harm. It brings a lot of feelings of guilt, resentment. It's the cause for a lot of divorces, separations, etc. Non-monogamy in the consensual sense that we are talking about uh, since the past maybe. I don't know, like 30 years approximately, can also be divided into polyamory. I mean, polyamory is just one part one of, of consensual non-monogamy. And then you have various forms of 
consensual non-monogamy that are primarily sexual. So, for example, you could be you could be a swinger. Uh, you could be someone who takes a third partner into your sexual dynamic, so your famous or infamous threesomes. You could have um, a kink relationship, which is, you know, two partners are together and then they outsource their kinky needs to a third person or multiple people. Outsource. What a fun term to bring into this conversation. Yes, because from my point of view, I I see these as needs. So sexual needs or kink needs, kink is power dynamics, right? So if you have a need for power dynamics to be psychologically or emotionally or sexually aroused, that's a sort of need that you can outsource outside of your relationship if your partner is not into it. And you have the right to do so because it's... Again, it's a need. And if you try and suppress it, it's just going to cause resentment. And resentment is the first killer to all relationships. So it's it's good to understand them as needs, you know, just like any other emotional needs, a need for food or need for like entertainment, need for housing, etc. So there is no hierarchy of needs. When some need is not met, then you start building these uncomfortable feelings towards your partner or towards the situation, towards yourself. Well, that's again super interesting. There is no hierarchy of needs. And I think a lot of us are just conditioned to never think like that, which also brings me to to be in the mind space to even consider this as a concept. I think there's so much unlearning involved because I think most of us have grown up with this concept that there is one, that one person you're going to find or that one love you're going to find and you'll be happily married and that'll be life. So how much of unlearning is involved to even for someone to grapple of how the space is? Uh, see, the unlearning comes from two sides of the coin. One is your individual unlearning of how you react to certain things in life, your emotional understanding of things, and how you address or how you can deal with emotions, okay, your own emotions. And that's not just unlearning, that's learning. What is it that you want? How to express it? And that's at an individual level. At a societal level, unlearning comes from the point of view that actually monogamy is fairly, uh, I mean, monogamy is fairly, or romantic monogamy is fairly new. It's um, maybe two, three hundred years old, not more than that. Earlier, people used to, if we talk about marriage, people used to get married and, um, you know, get married for reasons of property, you know, bearing children and therefore passing property to, you know, their, their um, uh, uh, offsprings. So um, people would get married to uh, get families together. Again, like you see kings, queens uh, getting married, although there was no love involved. So this whole idea of love in a marriage or in a monogamous relationship is fairly new. Non-monogamy was practiced much before, you know, and it was practiced by usually men. So unlearning, definitely unlearning or unpacking uh, patriarchal norms uh, where women are also allowed to express themselves uh, sexually or feel pleasure sexually. The roles of, uh, you know, traditional gender roles need to be probably unlearned and looked at uh, because they don't work in today's age anymore. 
Um, that's why you have so many divorces. That's why you have so many breakups, because actually the world is changing. We are evolving and we need to start looking at things in a, I don't know, in a, in a better way or in a more open minded way. Yeah. That there are options out there, that this is not the only thing. Historically, it's been like a couple of hundred years. Romantic love is also being uh, looked at and and kind of pushed into us through media, through uh, literature, only after the romantics. I think it's like 1750 is the actual date when, when this ideology started coming, uh, you know, uh, to us in different forms. So yeah, love is not really necessary to get married and that we know because arranged marriages are often based on other factors, like other families agreeing to the wealth or the education or it's just a social way of organizing things. Yeah, I was just going to say educational qualification plays such a big part. You have matrimonial sites yeah. only for people who've gone to IIT and stuff like that. Of course, where love is not, you hope that'll happen. it'll happen on the way uh, there. So when you talk about a non-monogamous relationship, I think a lot of people think that three, four people are just having sex all the time. And uh, that's how simple or fun it would be. But I think like any any relationships, there's much more to it, right? So what are the practical aspects of this and what are the kind of structures or like, how does one go about it or define that I can be with these many people or, I, or my partner can be with someone else? How, how? What's the basis of all of this? So I think structures are more common in polyamory and not specifically non-monogamy consensual non-monogamy. If you are into a purely sexual relationship or kink relationship, it's just about communicating that with your partner. Like, what are they okay and what they are not okay with? That communication needs to be extremely detailed from am I going to use protection with the other person? What kind of activities are involved? Are you okay with that? If you're not okay, what else can we explore? Are you going to be involved? How many people, how much time, how many times can I go and have sex with multiple people? Like, what do I do? Do I spend an overnight there? Do I uh, go in on a holiday with them? Because that's a very common fantasy, you know, your girlfriend or your boyfriend going on a holiday with a third person. That's common. So in terms of structures in consensual non-monogamy that's purely sexual or kink-based or uh, sex worker-based, I don't think there is structures as such. But in polyamory, there are because it is understood, at least by a lot of people, that polyamory will involve feelings. Although there are feelings involved in sexual relationships also that are purely sexual, but in polyamory, you're trying to build a relationship or you're building multiple relationships that uh, will give you safety, perhaps. Uh, perhaps you're going to share finances with them. Uh, perhaps you're going to share child rearing with them. So many things. And so in polyamory, you have, you know, words or and to be honest, like there are constantly new words that pop up. You know, we are now really getting into the nitty gritty of relationships, feelings, etc. So there are groups of people studying this, coming up with new words, new vocabulary. So right now I'm aware of few, like, for example, you have a V, just two people, and then they, you know, kind of have relationships with a third person or a fourth 
fourth person. These are hierarchical uh, relationships, uh, a V, a triad, or a thruple, and then you have very broadly speaking polycule. So when you have multiple peoples engaging with each other, then you have non-hierarchical structures. And uh, relationship anarchy is one of them, where people believe that all partners are equal. In a hierarchical one, usually that hierarchical one comes from monogamy. So you will have a primary partner and that takes priority over everybody else. And then there are secondary partners that are not as important. Now, is this with respect to depth of the relationship or the time you spend with them? It's up to you to decide. Now, the anarchical way or the non-hierarchical way is where you give equal importance to everyone. So it's about, again, communication, uh, understanding how much time are you going to spend with that person and what kind of things are you going to do with them? What needs do you know what yeah. means that do they actually like fulfill for you is it um, going to the movies is it uh, once a week or is it maybe um, you know holding hands is it cuddling because not all polyamorous relationships are sexual they can be also asexual so oh that's super interesting I did not even think of that yeah so based on uh, amato normativity you could be also aromantic so if you are aromantic it's a spectrum if you are aromantic you don't feel romantic love so you might fall into the consensual non-monogamy where you're just being physical with someone but actually you could be also an asexual person in a polyamorous relationship where you just cuddle maybe you don't even want physical intimacy maybe we are just close and we have these romantic feelings and we don't have sex but we write uh, you know love poems interesting yeah so it's kind of feelings sex and then there are these like there's this huge spectrum of interpersonal relationships that a lot of people talk about like what kind of things do you do how do you feel it's it's very broad so it's it depends on the person uh, you know, what they actually want to practice and how and this must have to do so much with mental strength, right? Because I'm just thinking there are so many fights in a single relationship. And I'm talking more on the polyamory side of things. For a lot of people, I think just being with one partner can come with so much issue about how much time you're spending and all of that. The moment you don't, you don't have multiple partners, I think everyone will have to be super strong emotionally and mentally, right? For To actually sustain in this lifestyle. I would not say strong. In fact, uh, emotionally strong is the opposite. You have to be emotionally vulnerable. Oh, that is interesting. Yeah. I never, again, never looked at it from that point of view. Yeah. Do tell more. Emotional strength is um, is part of, of a toxic culture that believes that emotions are bad for you. My school of thought is that emotions are beautiful. All the ones that make you feel comfortable, which is your joy, happiness, love, and the uncomfortable ones like fear, sadness, and anger. So broad, I mean, there are only very few emotions that exist, at least on a di dictionary of emotions. And then from there, there's a spread of multiple, you know, nuanced version of irritate of anger, for example, irritation or sadness, etc. So emotionally vulnerable, and also you have to look at how emotionally reactive someone is. So polyamory is not for everyone. Now, how do you regulate your emotions? Okay, so there is uh, emotional reactivity 
and emotional regulation. One is a skill and one is a personality trait. Now, the knowing how to react to emotions or having a way of feeling them, expressing them, and then just being okay, you know, and not holding on to them is a skill that you learn. And a lot of polyamorous people, I mean, are advised to to go through certain, you know, trainings or whatever, like at least inform themselves about these things. Reactivity, again, is something that you can manage or you can learn about, but it's always uh, with the help of a mental health practitioner to support. Now, once you have all these emotions, yes, you're right. More people, more emotions. So if you're averse to emotions or you're afraid of them and you see them as a weakness, then perhaps polyamory is not for you. You know, perhaps you want to practice some kind, other kind of consensual non-monogamy. Maybe you want to practice non-monogamy, the non-consensual one, because you can't deal with things, right? Or the emotions of your partner. So not again, polyamory is not for everyone. You need to be able to understand your emotions better. Uh, you need to learn skills to regulate emotions better. And often when we think about emotions, we we think of jealousy. Okay. But jealousy, actually, when you break it down, stems from three core emotions, which is, again, your fear, sadness or anger. How you address these things, like how you get jealous, what is it that you're afraid of? Do you feel disrespected? So if you feel disrespected once, but you actually know that your partner is not disrespecting you in life, this is just this instant, perhaps it's something to do with your childhood or with experiences in your childhood. That's why usually when I get clients, I look at attachment styles. So people have secure and insecure attachment style. If you come from an insecure attachment style, you might, you know, if you are an avoidant, I'm, I'm getting into these terms, yeah, but yeah, if you are uh, avoidant, you might be more likely to fall into the polyamorous uh, lifestyle or um, practice because you tend to sort of step away from emotions, you need uh, independence, you already know how to regulate them in a, in a fairly decent way. And you don't really throw that baggage of, oh my God, what is happening to the other person. Now, if you're anxious, which means that you are afraid of being abandoned, you're afraid that your partner is going to leave you forever because they find someone better, that's an issue you need to address on your own, like with with the help of a mental health practitioner, because you will extend that moment of jealousy. Jealousy is just a moment. The thinking process about jealousy and why it's happening, that's where you go into either like sadness, fear or anger. So if you go into fear, it's because you have a lot of insecurities that you haven't really addressed. Because if your partner lives with you and it's just about, you know, having another partner and you know that your partner is coming back to you or you know because they have either expressed it or they've done things that make you believe that they love you, then where is this fear coming from? Yeah, but I think for me, this is like what you're saying makes sense. But at the same time, it's like, yeah, but this is not how we were conditioned to think at all. The moment someone else is getting a little more attention even perhaps, right? starts to become that issue. Jealousy, I, I'm assuming, is the most thrown around emotion that 
comes up in relationships and i'm assuming that would also come up in these kind of relationships so jealousy is a perception it's not an emotion okay okay so you it's a perception that something is going to happen it's either a fear of the future it's not a you're not in the present when you're jealous what is happening right now you're projecting yourself into the future and thinking this person will leave me okay yeah. now yes we are conditioned we are not just conditioned i mean we are brought up in 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 those terms but and if you have childhood i don't want to call it trauma but if you've had experiences at a very young age i'm not even saying that you would remember them maybe it's something when you were a toddler and your mother left you for a couple of hours and you were crying there was nobody there you might develop this sort of anxiety and fear later on in life so it's good to check out where it's coming from and that's why polyamorous relationships are beautiful to understand yourself the more relationships you have the more you experience jealousy the more you're going to understand what is happening inside of me why am i so insecure a person might leave you anyways like that's true yeah right there's no guarantee whether you get married the only way for them not leaving you is to lock them in a room <laughs> and just like feed them you know there is no guarantee the world out there is full of people they might go off with somebody else but if you create a strong bond by talking by understanding each other's you know again attachment styles way of, of feeling emotions and stuff then that person is more likely to stay with you because you are actually getting deep not just with yourself but with for them also like you're both getting into the deep end of vulnerability and that's why i said that vulnerability is much more important you not being afraid of touching these uncomfortable feelings because feelings go they are there for a few they say 90 seconds okay they last longer they feel like forever if you're jealous and your partner has gone with someone and then they come back home and you're feeling jealousy and what is the reality they are back sitting with you at home they haven't gone anywhere so you're thinking about the future now you're projecting things it's not a reality yeah so it takes a bit of practice and skills to you know address all this stuff but it is mostly inner work Yeah, see again now that you you were talking about vulnerability and how you should be open to that. That that makes a lot more sense now. Amazing. So how does one even figure out if polyamory is for them whether you're a couple and you're one of the two people in the relationship or perhaps both or even if you're a single person because I don't think a lot of people have ever thought that as a single person you can start getting into a polyamorous uh, relationship. Yeah, I think you have to I think visualizations are a very good tool for everything. Maybe you can start visualizing yourself in that situation. Like a lot of couples do it just naturally when they are in a intimate intimate scene, uh they start fantasizing and that that's usually like uh threesomes or I don't know like uh foursomes and things like that. So they talk about them. and they start fantasizing about them so it's good to kind of start visualizing these uh fantasizing about these instances like how would i feel if there's another person here next to us are they going to be a man or a woman uh or maybe neither maybe someone queer or who identifies yeah. as a transgender how does that feel 
when you start visualizing, you usually get a physical sensation in your body. So that could be excitement or it could be fear. That's why, I mean, I always say, okay, scan your body, see where, what, what does it feel like? Does it feel, is it a good sensation or is it something uncomfortable? And then just start visualizing like what is, what about it? Or start thinking about what about this is making me uncomfortable? Okay, this is just like a trial run for yeah. yourself. But then you should also look, one should look at personality traits. How open-minded you are in general to change for example, how okay are you with things changing? If you are not, if you struggle with change anyways, and you like things the way, you know, you like being in control of certain factors around you, then perhaps it's not for you. Because the more people you will have, the more changes there'll be in terms of schedules, in terms of locations, like just practical stuff, food. Like if you are someone who uh, has lived a very still life, then maybe it's not for you. If you are someone who has an open-minded social circle, because it's very important to have people that you can share your experiences with. It's not enough that you have one partner. You need support. Because the environment around us is pretty much monogamous nowadays. It's not, uh, still not, everybody is exploring non-consensual non-monogamy. So there is a lot of judgment by society and your social stigma resilience is what matters a lot when you are coming out or when you are living a polyamorous lifestyle. Now, I don't mean, you know, if you're having, you don't have to share your sexual experiences. Obviously, you don't share about threesomes. You don't share about, I don't know, kinky parties that you go to. But if you are in a polyamorous relationship, a lot of people want to be out there in the open and be appreciated for who they are, especially in a collective society uh, where we live in. Because a lot of people get validations from others. And this is how it is at the moment. So if you don't get a little bit of validation from at least the people around you, it's going to be challenging. Yeah, fair enough. Yeah. yeah. So if you live in a conservative family and you know that people will not understand it, it's going to be much harder for you to live for example there are people who live in in troubles or four people living together they cannot really come out so everybody around them thinks that it's just like you know friends living together but perhaps they are in a polycule other things again we spoke about emotions how emotionally reactive you are if you're someone who starts crying intensely or feels uh, or has anxiety or uh, maybe if you are I'm not saying that you cannot, but it will be more challenging for you, right? If, you, if you're bipolar and you, your emotions tend to fluctuate a lot, it will be challenging. So just make sure that you have support. Again, learning these skills, communication skills is a must, effective communication where you actually talk about your feelings first, you can talk about your needs, understand what your needs are, because even if you get into a polyamorous relationship, what are you trying to achieve like yes you might have romantic feelings for one person you might like the other person but uh, 
these kind of the attraction or that strong attraction fades away. So what else can you do to build that relationship? What are your needs? What is it that you need? Do you need someone to help you fix the, I don't know, like the electric board? Or do you need someone to help you buy a car? I'm just uh, talking from <laughs> personal experience because I'm really bad at like selecting electronics for example so i love when someone actually tells me like okay buy this i'm like okay thank you because i can't do the research so that for me is priority i know it sounds very silly but it is uh, for some um, you know sex is a priority some people are very aroused all the time you know your sexual arousal also matters like how aroused you are um if you know sometimes couples get into non monogamy because uh, there is a mismatch in in desire it can come after a few years of them being together but it could be something that they face immediately also so what are the needs that you have that are not being met currently by your one two three whatever partners so think about those things and think how comfortable you feel about outsourcing those needs to others. You might be, you, if you are someone who has one single best friend, then my, that polyamory <laughs> might not be for you. Oh, wow. You. That's, a, that's a benchmark. Yeah, because you are, you, if you still believe in best friend, yeah. you know, that there's one person <laughs> who, only that one person oh, who understands That's it. so funny. In an Indian context, I think we, we, we've always had that one friend and then other friends will fight over who's the best friend is this one more best than me but i feel in indian in the indian context you're also used to a lot of people in the family yeah right so you have different relationships you know you're used to already dealing with so many people that personally speaking i feel like naturally india is very polyamorous also because there you know it comes from a culture where arranged marriage is kind of accepted people having affair outside the marriage it's fairly normal at least for men so it there is that sort of open mindedness i don't know now like polyamory whether as a societal ideology i don't know if when it's going to settle in uh, but i think it's going to happen uh, sooner than later because of the internet and exposure um but yeah like you have you don't just have friends you have cousins you have uh, aunts uncles colleagues old school friends you know it's more it is a collective society so you're used to distributing your needs across people in the west in the west is very individualistic so you don't do that usually you have like you know very few that you trust and then you do certain things with them here everybody's more open you know i know that i can go to this person for this particular thing so the structure is there <laughs> it's just how you talk about it yeah but back to what is it that you need to 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 tip your toes definitely find a community wow that's that's a lot to unpack i think we'll take a short break and come back to how to even meet people in the space perhaps so see you after these short messages welcome back to anish thing we're discussing polyamory and non monogamous relationships with ali so ali tell me more about how does one perhaps try and meet more people in this space perhaps figure out what the community is uh, at least in india 
Okay, so there are small communities across the country, a polyamorous community. There's a big one in Bangalore for sure. Obviously, the internet is the best space. Social media has groups already. Bombay has one. I think it's important to actually voice out that one is polycurious if they are already thinking about it, especially if they're dating. Like on dating apps, uh, it's important to mention that they're polycurious because it might open the space again you're being vulnerable for other people to say like hey i am too i'm not putting it out there because maybe i'm afraid of being judged or uh, i'm afraid that uh, there be someone on the platform that knows me etc but it is also a very cool opener these days okay. um, you know like your pronouns like yeah. you know anything that is sort of that can end, open up a conversation with uh, a new person so i i would uh, advise to do that uh, just write it on your dating profiles that you're polyamorous or polycurious and yeah definitely start looking for community because community is very important now if we see for example the queer community now it's even become legal so because the community has been strong from the beginning they have fought their rights even when we we always like compare the queer community and the polyamorous one because they fought against heteronormativity Okay, so the idea that heterosexual relationships are higher somewhere in this hierarchy yeah. of relationships. Now, polyamorous people are fighting against amatonormativity, which is, you know, that uh, romantic relationships uh, are the sort of best and only way to have relationships. So there's a lot to learn from the queer community and it's important to again like find like-minded people and talk about these things, share experiences whether it's online or offline. We I mean we are organizing small events uh, that facilitate that, especially with people who have been practicing for 20 years. I mean, I know people in India who've been practicing and have been identifying as polyamorous for over 20 years. So we're talking about when first polyamory even came as a word or label for this type of identity. And there are people who are just like trying have been doing it for maybe five years. There are people living in, in uh, these polycules. So reaching out to them and understanding how they navigate this space is very, very important. Oh, so you said polycules. What does that mean? A polycule is just uh, because you don't want to uh, use, you don't want to really think that there are only three people, like your trouble and triad, or four, four people. So it's it can be expansive. So as many as possible. A triad can also be called a polycule. It comes from like if you have multiple people in a relationship. So this, again, they can be sexual relationship, romantic relationship, interpersonal ones. And they can be like, maybe it's just one person having with multiple or it could be all the members kind of being engaged somehow with the others. And are there any specific apps? Like one thing you said is to just write that on your dating profile. Are there, are there any specific apps or websites which cater to more for people in this space, in this lifestyle? See, the only one that I know that is specifically for this is Field. 
But for example, a lot of swingers are on FetLife. FetLife is usually for kinky people and swingers or sort of polyamorous people have fallen into that bucket, although they are not really like into kinks or BDSM in general. So you find a lot on on FetLife and on Field. Nowadays, you see them on regular, uh, you find polyamorous people even on regular apps. They do mention it. Uh, I think there are options nowadays for it on regular apps. So, but yeah, we are we are getting there. We are it's happening. <laughs> yeah, and uh, any tips or like you know things to be really careful about if you're looking at entering the space. Things that might actually cause more anxiety for you or might just you know give you a panic attack or like like what are those things that you definitely need to be mindful before taking a first step. Again, you have to really break down the communication into very small details. You need to understand what your boundaries are. I mean, we talk about boundaries all the time these days, but what it actually means is that what is okay for you, what is not okay for you, and what is it that you're open to try. Now, this is as detailed as I'm going to meet you every Sunday at 7 a.m. for a walk. Uh, to I want to have like a foursome or any any kind of like sexual kinky activity with you. So what is it that you want in that particular relationship? Like what is it that you're not okay with? How much communication, how much texting, messaging, how much phone calling, uh, what kind? What happens to you when you're upset? Can you actually think and say like, okay, when I'm angry, I want to be left alone. Or when I'm angry, I want to solve the, the, I want to actually reach a conclusion with you. I want to talk about it until it's like clear. So all these things, it's mandatory for you to have a decent experience. Like, okay, you enter into this, this relationship, or even if you are chatting with someone who potentially could be a partner, what are all these things? Like, what is okay? What is not okay? And what is it that you're open to try? And you ask that from the other person as well. So it's extremely detailed, effective communication. Like what I do usually is I draft contract. Oh, wow. We're talking about contracts? Yeah. <laughs> okay. So I draft polyamorous contracts uh, with clients where we go really into detail. Like how many hours are you okay talking? Damn. You know, like in a week, there is like fought and, and, and that's the biggest challenge when you are in, in multiple relationships. How do you manage your time? Yeah, that's what I'm saying. It, it can get very difficult to manage time with one person. Yeah, but if you define time, yeah. like you define work time, this is your play time or this is your relationship time, which is equally important. Yeah. And it can be even if you work 8, 12 hours a day, like you must be spending at least one hour a day chatting to someone. Are you and it's as detailed as that. Do you spend twenty minutes chatting to three partners that you have? <laughs> okay. So it is as detailed as that. And this is just the beginning. Then obviously it becomes natural. But you're testing the grounds here, you know, like to understand what is it that works for both of you. So is one key difference here, if I'm understanding this correct, that if you get into a regular and the term regular can like how I don't know how else to define. <laughs> uh, uh, <laughs> I'm saying regular again, but a regular relationship of two human beings. Uh, I think a lot of things you learn along the way, right? What your expectations might be of the other person. Uh, how much time is that person really 
much into texting or more voice calls or everything you said so if you're looking at getting into someone uh, with someone in a polyamorous sort of a relationship a lot of those questions would be brought up right in the beginning rather than Not, later this is what i suggest as a professional okay but imagine if you could do that even with that one person that you're with <laughs> yeah. wouldn't you save so much time and energy and like just to understand what makes them upset like what is going to make you angry you just ask them at the beginning instead of like finding it out and that person thinking yeah. oh he's not the one for me because he didn't do that i mean you we really think that things you know go with the flow is very romantic and stuff but it's extremely like uh you know it it makes you really struggle with just regular i want to call the regular as well yeah. but like it, with regular relationships and that's why dating is so challenging dating is challenging 100% it is challenging because people don't have these conversations at the beginning have you drafted any contracts for regular relationships i have uh, step by step instructions <laughs> oh wow really yeah for dating i have a one on one dating kind of <laughs> program and this is when you're coaching uh, under your coaching umbrella is you yeah 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 so dating uh, coaching yes i have a few friends who i think definitely can use some of your services i of course will not take any names here <laughs> please them yeah. send them eli thank you so much for doing this i think i've learned so much today but one thing i'm just thinking right now like does it apply that once your poly in a way you're always poly or like do you switch back and how how do you do that you can do whatever you want it's your life right yeah so uh you might have uh, you don't have to be polyamorous for the rest of your life maybe you can have phases of polyamory explore how that feels like um maybe you have a partner who's monogamous and is strictly monogamous and then you have feelings for them and you want to try and be uh, with them for some time uh, in a monogamous relationship maybe you want to get married maybe after 10 years of marriage you both are fed up with each other and you're like let's try and open up this relationship so it it depends on how you feel i mean they say it's an orientation they say it's a lifestyle you know right now we are just exploring different types of human relationships and i think it's important to be kind to yourself yeah uh it's important to be able to communicate your boundaries it's important to communicate your needs uh and also be skilled and with empathy uh, you know uh, for what the other person feels like if they feel upset that you are poly obviously you know they're not judging you it's it's coming from a place of fear for themselves so compassion empathy these are very important qualities that one needs to have in in this kind of space and it's not necessary that you know you have to be polyamorous or monogamous for the rest of your life you can take breaks you can be ambiamorous also What's which that? is I, that's like sometimes poly sometimes okay. poly, uh, mono <laughs> fun Yeah. Uh can I have your social media handle? Yeah, so you can find me on the Intimacy Curator uh, on Instagram, uh Facebook as well, and then my personal one is Ali Jaili. Super. So in case anyone has any questions, you want to reach out, uh, get some uh relationship advice coaching or uh, contracts, <laughs> you know where to go. Thank you so much for being on the show. 
Thank you.